We are an Advent people, a people who are waiting. We come to this by heritage. There was a nation long ago that was waiting for a king. It was a ridiculous thing for them to do so. They hadn't had a king in roughly six centuries, long enough that there was no one who could even remember a grandparent who could talk about a king. Furthermore, in honesty, they never were that great a nation, at least not for long. They had 80 years, perhaps, of glory with David and Solomon, but otherwise they weren't one of the movers and shakers among the nations of that ancient world. So why they should worry about having a king, especially when they hadn't had one for five, six hundred years, it's hard to imagine. But something was in their favor, if you want to look at it that way. Namely, they had a lot of dreamers in their midst. Some of the dreamers were flat-out poets, some of the other dreamers were prophets who spoke like poets. And when you set poets to working on looking at life, they don't just see the data before them. They see the wonder or the questions or the potentials around them, especially these people, these poets, these dreamers, because they had a vision from God. The poets wrote a lot of the hymnody for that people of Israel. And the hymnody now and again was looking for a king for a great triumphant time, greater than any king they had ever known, actually. They would sing about this, about the king that would come and the wonder of a better world that would come because they, the people of God, Israel, were going to be the channels for that operation of God. And when it came to the prophets, the greatest of them, said that there'd come a day when all the animals of the earth would be like kin, so the lion and the lamb could lie down together and the bear wouldn't frighten anybody. A little child would lead them, that a child would play on the hole of the asp without fear. When you have dreamers like that in your nation, you can be forgiven if you keep on thinking that something is going to happen someday, even though all logic is against it. But the whole idea began to fade away. There had been centuries now when there hadn't been one of those prophets. They would have been glad now if there could have been an Amos who would have told them off and told off the other nations of the world or to have had a Malachi who would simply tell them it was about time they paid their tithes and did what they ought to do with their money. Just anything to hear a voice from God that was powerful and charged with the purposes of God. And then the rumor came out that there was such a prophet. He wasn't in Jerusalem. He was out in the wilderness. Nobody knew why he'd gone to the wilderness except that that was the kind of person he was. He came, they said, from good stock. Both his mother and his father were from the tribe of Levi. So he had organized religion on his side. But he didn't seem to know it because he was organized in his own way. And he went out to preach in the wilderness. The crowds began to follow him. The crowds began to grow. At first, it was the common people. 
especially people who might be unemployed and had the chance and time to go and listen if they wanted to. Then some of the ruling intelligentsia of Jerusalem came to look and to hear and to ask him questions. He didn't mind questions at all. The common people kept saying, it's worth going out there just to see the outfit he wears. And some of the others said, and if you can possibly stay for lunch, watch what he eats. This is an extraordinary person, and he doesn't care who comes or doesn't come. He has a message, he's going to deliver it, and if they don't like it, that's their problem. Even the soldiers of Rome, who were sent there probably for crowd control, even they were attracted by him. And they dared to say, what can we do? And he told them what to do. He was ready to go on with his message. Then people got more curious. They said, finally, we've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been waiting for the one. Are you the one? He said, no, I'm not. This was a letdown right off. They asked him a series of other questions to identify who he was because it was so hard to put him in a pocket anywhere to show where he fit. And he denied it all. Then he finally said, who are you then? He said, I'm a voice in the wilderness. Well, that was obvious. But he said, I'm calling out in preparation for the one who is to come. I'm preparing the way. They didn't have to wait long after that. The very next day, as he was preaching, he spotted a figure coming forward in the midst of the crowd. And he interrupted himself to say, look, there he is. That's the one I've been telling you about. That is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Now, that sounds acceptable to us because we're on the other side of the story. It had to be an awful letdown to the crowd. They were waiting for a king. He points out this rather regular-looking person, a working person from a small town. And he says, it's the Lamb of God, and he's going to take away the sins of the world. This was the second time Jesus had been introduced, and both the introductions are peculiar because they have a, a contrast built into them from the outset. First, the introduction came, of course, to some shepherds outside the town of Bethlehem, that one street town that had its heritage in David. And those shepherds out on the hillside were told simply by an angel that a savior had been born. A savior had been born. And you'd find him in Bethlehem, and you'll know it's the boy because he's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they were excited, as you should be, especially when the angels get a whole mass choir and begin singing to you. Glory to God in the highest. If that doesn't move you, there's something wrong. They were moved. They went then to Bethlehem. Sure enough, there he was, 
baby in an inconspicuous place with notably inconspicuous parents. But they were so excited about it, they ran to tell the people in the town what they had seen. And the Bible says simply that the people wondered. I bet they did wonder. They must have wondered in all sorts of ridiculous ways. First of all, why anybody would care enough about shepherds to give them the message. And also, what in the world can you think of shepherds who have been out on the hillside so long they've lost their bearings and they don't know whether they're listening to angels or just some exotic experience. And I think in time, it just became part of the folklore of the older people as generations came along. Because who was looking for a savior anyway for the whole world? What Israel needed was a king. And then, of course, the second introduction comes now to this prophet in the wilderness, this exotic character who dares to preach the way he is moved to preach. And as he preaches, the challenge is out there to the people. But when they finally ask him, what are you here for? He said, I'm, I'm here to prepare the way. He's coming. And I'll tell you what he's going to be when he comes. He'll be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That wasn't what they wanted. We don't want babies. We got enough babies already, more than we can take care of in Bethlehem or anywhere else. We don't want either a Lamb of God. We want somebody who can solve the problems of the world. We particularly don't want somebody who's going to take away our sins because we don't want to be reminded that we have any sins. So this isn't what we're looking for. This isn't what we've asked God for. We want a king, somebody who can bring justice, someone who can solve the economy, someone who can put an end to war. We'd like to have, yes, that kind of king where the lion can lie down with the lamb, but until then, We'd just like to have the Assyrians get along with the Egyptians. That would do for a while. We want, oh God, for the king to come. And we certainly don't want a lamb. You and I, most of us here, don't know much about lambs. Uh, we, we don't have much contact with them. They knew about lambs in that world. They knew what a lamb was. They raised their own, a good many of the people, and all of them became attentive to lambs when it came to the Passover time because they'd buy one for the household and they'd take the poor, helpless little critter and kill it and sprinkle the blood and eat the flesh of it. And that's what lambs were for. If you're going to set up a new order, you don't start the parade with a lamb, with a stallion maybe, or at the least, perhaps, if you can control him, a lion. But you don't look for a lamb if you're going to change things. That's what was promised, that gift that would come. The poet and writer in general, a uh, 
what shall I say, failed Scottish preacher, George MacDonald, who played a key part in C.S. Lewis's salvation. MacDonald said they all were looking for a king to raise with power and put men down. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. That's not what the world wants. The world wants something that's glamorous to our needs. We like the baby at Christmas time. The culture likes it because Jesus is very manageable as the baby in the crib. And we don't hear much about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because that certainly is not an appealing message to a culture that has forgotten the definition of sin as something having to do with God. So we don't have much time, really, for such a Christmas as this. And for that matter, we never have. We're just like they were in that first century world, when with two introductions, both of them really, in the end, tended to put them off instead of draw them in. We had a wonderful emphasis on what was right in its own truth in the Catholic Church with its emphasis on the dying Son of God, the one on the cross, but yet with all of those symbols around them, the Catholic Church became to emperors and popes alike the symbol of Christendom. Christendom meaning that the church ruled things. If you wanted to manage your empire, you better have the pope or somebody like him, a bishop at least, on your side. It wasn't the kind of world where the Lamb of God was exalted. Christendom. We never fully got over it in America. We just changed the political parties from time to time. I remember when they said of the Democratic Party uh, that uh, liberal Christians uh, were the Democratic Party of prayer. Uh, and that bothered evangelicals, whom I am one, although I wasn't particularly bothered by that because I didn't press all my hopes in such directions. But of course, we caught on then as evangelicals, and we decided that if the Democrats had the Zerk Convention, Jesus at the convention, we would have him too. And we organized a great evangelical spirit that became another face, really, for many people, of the Republican Party. And we forget that a Lamb of God doesn't belong to either Democrats or Republicans or anything else except the people who know that they need a savior. But we don't like that language even very much. I keep pondering it, you see, because the first 13 years of my life, I worshiped in the Helping Hand Mission, a Methodist church on Lower 4th Street, primarily for the benefit of the people on the street who would come in to get warm, to get a cup of coffee and the donut afterwards, and maybe a place to sleep for the night, and sometimes to get saved. Some to get saved every few weeks, but they were there, and the sign outside said what we were about. 
and said, Jesus saves. That was the language. That you were going to be saved. And I'm fascinated with the way we've accommodated our culture and our egos, if I may dare say so, to our theology. So we rarely say to people anymore, do you want to be saved? We say, do you want to commit yourself to Christ? It would make me feel good if you did. It puts you in a position of helping him instead of his saving you. Or do you want to follow him? Which is a correct word, but it makes it seem that we're the source, we're the important part of it. And he didn't come that way. He came to be a savior, the angel said. A savior because people need to be saved. So one night when I was 10 years old, they were having revival meetings at a neighborhood church. I'd heard it often enough in my Methodist church to be all set up for it. But that night in the neighborhood church in the revival service, they asked if anybody wanted to be saved. And they sang one of those salvation songs along the way, you know. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Then love lifted me. And so I heard them preach, and I was 10 years old, and I was sinking fast. So I came to the altar, and I was saved. I didn't know any better than to think that what I was there for was to be saved. And that the one who saved me was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's an unlikely Christmas gift. He's an unlikely gift for nice people like you and me. The folks I knew in the Helping Hand Mission knew they needed a Savior, for sure. I remember one night when they knelt for prayer, I was not far away from a fellow they called simply Tommy. He wasn't a member of the church, but he was there quite often, night after night. And I saw him doing something while we were all kneeling there in prayer. I said to my father afterwards, I was praying next to Tommy tonight, and he was playing with some papers there. My father smiled and said, those were his little gambling tickets for the baseball games. I, maybe he was just praying over them, or maybe he was just sorting them out to see what he had. Tommy knew he needed a savior. And I remember Denny Cunningham, such a quiet, strong, weak man, because they said just a few months before he'd fallen off the wagon again. And it was so bad that he'd had DTs, delirium tremens. It seemed to me that when he took that bit of grape juice, the cup, and poured it down, it was like he was thinking again of the days that he poured stuff into his gullet that was killing him. But he knew he needed a savior. He knew he needed the Lamb of God. We need the Lamb of God as much as ever, maybe more so, because we find so many ways to solve our problems 
just short of salvation. So many steps that make us look as if we've gotten there, only we haven't. So we need Christmas. We need the Savior. We need the Lamb of God. Pathetic thing who carries away the sins of the world. Which is to say, we need to celebrate again today what we celebrate well here when we hear it well. We will take in a few moments body of our Lord, God's Lamb. And then we'll take dip into the blood of the Lamb. And we'll say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the voice of the angels will sing, that's why he came, to be the Savior. 